0: let's try another off-grid experiment with me void
1: and me dave
0: so that you don't have to we've solved the cryptic crossword dissolved it stuck it in a Libra condenser and distilled three words out of it which we think might need further investigation
1: if you want to tackle the same puzzle then i'll tell you it was the independence puzzle number 11356 from monday the 6th of march 2023 set by gila and we'll have a link to it in the show notes But if you don't want to, you can just carry on listening because you won't miss out on anything important by not having done so.
0: We will have a peer-reviewed analysis of three of the clues and present our conclusions in a double-blinded quiz, which will be hosted by, well, not by a reviewer too, you'll be glad to hear, but by, assuming he's arrived in the lab, General Knowledge. Are you here, General? I am here. Ready for duty. Marvellous. Right, listeners, we're going to read our three favourite clues from the puzzle out now. If you're not a solver, as Dave says, don't worry about it. We'll come back to these and explain how they work later. You can just tune out for the next 30 seconds or so, if you like. So, General, could you read us your favourite
2: clue, please? My favourite clue is four down. Podcaster is keen to host a star. It has eight letters. And Dave? Uh,
1: My choice was 12
2: down, which said...
1: Church leader initially favouring inferior sort of wine. Which is 11 letters. And what about yours?
0: i 24 down. Feature of Senorita's hat incorporating diamonds. Five letters. Right, we'll come back to those in a bit. Meanwhile, General, which word did you pick out of the puzzle
2: to tell us something about? The one that jumped out at me is Steely Dan that uh, new york group from the 70s and 80s and onward and onward that to me has got plenty of potential for quizzing it's got a great backstory and it's nice to see a little bit of retro rock and roll or music uh, threaded through a grid
0: (laughs) when you mentioned to us that this was the word you were going to choose i thought hang on didn't you already mentioned that was one of your favourite bands in an earlier episode, but then I remember that was Steely Span that you mentioned previously. So it's <laughs> entirely different band. Very different band. <laughs> so, Steely Dan, I, I could say Donald Fagan. Is that right?
2: Yeah, you've done well, Donald Fagan.
0: You want to go down a rabbit hole with
2: me? Walter Becker? Yeah. What's interesting about Steely Dan is um, they were almost a studio band entirely. They weren't really given to extrovert stadium experiences, but they were a massive selling duo, but really they were a collective of musicians. But you're quite right, Void. It was Donald Fagan and it was Walter Becker. They met uh, on a New York campus. But I've got some really cool facts about them and I can turn them into some questions. Are you up for that?
0: Oh, yeah, always.
2: All right. So when they got together in various you know, iterations and incarnations, they had a heap of different names from, you know, the obvious Don Fagan jazz trio, Join the Dots, to the Leather Canary, which sounds very uh, Spinal Tap. But the actual (laughs) name that they settled on in uh, 1972 or 71 was inspired by their own beatnik proclivities. And it does come from a William S Burroughs novel, The Naked Lunch, which is that and on the road. It'd be the archetypal beat novels. Uh, But do you know what Steely Dan was in that novel? (laughs) I think I do.
1: Yes, I think I do as well.
2: (laughs) Would either of you care to elaborate? It was a dildo, wasn't it?
1: A steam-powered one, I believe.
2: (laughs) Yes, it would be a steam-powered marital aid, I think, would be the euphemism. <laughs> right. Yes, No, essentially an industrial dildo. So one of the sweetest sounds of the 70s and the 80s was named after some kind of beatnik sci-fi industrial dildo. So, you know, little cute fact to share with the grandkids. <laughs> All right. That's about the only fact that I know. So
1: wherever you're going after that, I'll, I'll be ignorant.
2: <laughs> okay, well... For Crossword fans, Steely Dan has got two wonderful gifts. I'll ask the first one is, do you know the name of their, um, I think it was their top-selling album that came out in 1977 is a palindrome. It's only three letters. Uh, Would you care to guess what the palindromic album title is? That is iconic in Crossword Land. That's an extra clue because it appears regularly in the New York Times Crossword because it has – some really nice, gnarly letters that are seldom seen in combination.
0: Right, yeah. I do know this one. Oddly enough, I, I know the word from an entirely different context as well. Dave, do you know what it is?
1: I
2: don't know.
0: Okay. It's AJA, or aya, A-J-A,
2: right? Yeah, that's correct, for it. How do you know it elsewhere? Okay.
0: Well, uh, you'll know that I've talked about being a juggler previously and there is a, is, was, I think was, a juggling prop manufacturing company called AJA, which stood for Advanced Juggling Articles. They <laughs> make very nice devil sticks.
2: <laughs> well, Void, that gives me the perfect segue into my next question because I'm going to double the letters of Steely Dan and create a name. The name is four and five in enumeration. And this cricketer, who is an anagram of Steely Dan, was named as the wisdom cricketer of several years. He was acknowledged as being the greatest fast bowler of his generation. He's a South African player. Do you know who this player is? That is a juggle of Steely Dan.
0: You said Wisdom Player of the Year in several years.
2: Yeah, he was several years. Now. He was the ICC 2008 Test Cricketer of the Year. He was among Wisdom's Cricketers of the Year in 2013, and he was given the Wisdom Leading Cricketer of the Year in 2014. So a decorated career. He's retired now.
0: Okay, so slightly different categories.
2: But he's nine letters.
0: Is he South African? Yeah. Yes. I know him. It's Dale Stain.
2: Well done. Stain. Dale Stain. Yeah. Steyn.
0: Yeah.
2: S T E Y N. Great work. Mm.
0: All right. I'm actually staring at the grid at the moment. So I, was... <laughs> I had to have it in front of me to be able to have worked it
1: out. <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of people called Andy Steele rattling yeah. around, but. Uh...
2: Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. If, uh, Andy Steele, if you're listening. Give us a bell. Drop a line. (laughs) Dale Steyn, if you've ever seen him bowl, I don't think I've ever
0: seen him bowl live, but I've seen him on TV. And he's one of the scariest looking bowlers ever. I mean, his first bowling was pretty scary, but if you actually looked at his face, he would give you the (laughs) desperately vicious stare. Hard stare. Scared me. Wasn't even on the pitch against
2: him. Yeah. He does. What's that uh, expression? A thousand-yard stare or the killer stare. He, he really was a very intense player, um, absolutely unplayable at his best. Yeah. But I, I am a great fan of looking at um, newcomers' names. I remember when uh, Luisa Schiavone came along, I noticed that she, her uh, the great Italian tennis player, her surname was an anagram of Anchovies. So I, I'm always looking at... <laughs> And the grand potential of the next name who enters the arena.
0: Yeah. I like looking out for what uh, what the setter Methuselah calls crossword clues in the wild. Mm. So if you see a phrase and think, well, wait a minute, that could be an actual clue. Yeah. You just need an indicator word. Newspaper
1: headlines and things yeah. like that. Yeah.
0: And then you start think trying to find answers to <laughs> It's most frustrating if there isn't
2: an answer because you think, damn, I thought I spotted something
0: brilliant there but I can't use it.
2: So I I do have um, a handful of uh, other bands with strange backstories. Uh, Would you be up for uh, a couple of those? Uh,
0: Yeah. It's just the backstories to their band names.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. You ready Uh, for a challenge? cool, Cool. Yeah. Go for it. All right. Well, let's kick off with one that um, I hope should be relatively simple. There was a band that went by the name of The Malanes, after the lead singer's middle name, but they changed their name with Capitol Records uh, due to their uh, very uh, over... Uh, they had an apartment in Los Angeles, even though they were a band originally from Australia and New Zealand, and they had an apartment I know in already. Los Angeles. Uh, where everyone just crashed out on the floor. Do you know what the the name that they settled for? Uh, I, I think I do. Dave, do you
1: have yeah. any clues here? No, he's, he's, he's playing right into your hands here with cricket things and, and bands and things. This is all <laughs> up your street.
0: Uh, so I reckon this is a band who formed from the fragments of a band that was a mostly Kiwi band originally. Correct yeah and that band was split ends and the band you're talking about is crowded house yeah, yeah. i really like split ends They're a fantastic band
2: yeah i can tell you're in a um indomitable mood uh, void i haven't stumped you yet no pun intended <laughs> oh we're going to come back to that
1: Interesting,
0: you oh, should say it. that but anyway carry on was
2: that a reference to james acaster no <laughs> only that he discovered you don't say no pun intended before you say the pun. That's one of the jokes he makes. Uh, Right, yeah. All right, another origin question for you. There is a band, this one from the 70s, 60s and 70s, who named themselves after their PE teacher, who was a real hard case. But the PE teacher ended up being a pretty gracious beneficiary or a gracious donor because he ended up introducing uh, one of their big concerts later in their career and emceed a couple of their gigs afterwards. So this band has the initials of LS and the name is actually a corruption of their PE teacher's name. Who is the LS band?
1: I think I can work that one out. So an LS with a weird spelling. Yeah. Is it where where the original teacher didn't have Ys in his name and they do? Exactly
2: right, Dave. Hurrah. So that would be Leonard Skinner. All right. No more clues for you two. Question number three. I
0: think the uh, last remaining original member of Leonard Skinner just died, actually. I think I read that. I uh-huh. to or two,
2: okay. All right. I just uh, occurred to me, too, that um, possibly the principal in yeah. The Simpsons, Seymour Skinner, uh, may be a little bit of a nod to Leonard Skinner, who was the inspiration for Leonard Skinner. So, you know, that's a possibility. I've never thought about that before.
1: Maybe. I don't know. Uh, shall we revisit the first of those clues that we picked out? If you remember, my choice was church leader initially favouring inferior sort of wine, which was an 11-letter answer. And I picked that one because of the way it sort of wrong-foots you if you clutch too readily at the clichés of crossword ease language. You tend to see church leader in a clue and think, well, this might be the definition, but it's likely to be an indicator just for the letter C, the leader of the word church. And you sort of see sort of wine, and that's very often indicating red. In this instance, neither of those were the case. Instead, church leader was elder, and then initially favoring gave you the letter F, and inferior gave you lower. And therefore, the solution was elder flower, which is the sort of wine. Rather clever, sort of taking you down the wrong route, which is what a lot of clues try to do. Void, whatever did you find in the grid to investigate?
0: Well, I greedily picked on two words from the grid because I could have come at the subject I've chosen from either of them. I've picked Everest and Everness. And pausing just for a second to say that Sir George pronounced his surname Eve Rest, so we're all pronouncing it wrong. I'll come back to why I picked those words in a bit. But recently, I was watching a very old documentary from the early 70s. About, yes, about the expansion of London after the railway boom. And in it, there was a little story that I'd never heard before. And as a former inhabitant of this said metro land, I thought, oh, that's, that's surprising. So I wonder now, you talked about stumping me earlier, General, but have either of you two heard of the London Stump?
1: Well, I'm a Londoner by birth, no. but I didn't live there very long. Uh, no, I've not heard of it.
0: Well, that was a, a nickname for this thing. A couple of other nicknames for it were Watkins Folly or shareholders dismay or the official name the great tower of london does that ring any bells
1: wow which is obviously not the tower of london
0: not the tower of london but the great tower of london
1: oh no still
0: getting blank faces here so okay is it um the gasometer? uh no it's not one of the gasometers. There's, there's one by the Oval Cricket Ground. I think there are some others. It's, uh, no, it's not one of those. But there's a chap called Edward Watkin, who was an MP and a railway entrepreneur. And he wanted to get more people using his railways to travel out of London into the suburbs more. And so he hatched a plan. He bought a large expanse of land to turn into a public park. But he thought, well, a park, that's fine, but I want an attraction to make it more of a draw to people. So at the end of the 1880s, he thought, I know, I'll build a huge tower there. And he planned to build what would have been the tallest building in the world there. So a a sort of Everest for the capital, if you will. Right. Well, that's one of my tenuous links to one of those words. So. Who do you think he might have asked to design it for him?
1: What's the date
2: again?
0: Uh, late 1880s.
2: Okay.
1: Mm. Eiffel.
0: Well, yes, because in 1889, it was the official opening of the Eiffel Tower. So yeah, Watkin thought,
1: who better to
0: design an even taller, massive tower for me than Gustav Eiffel. So he asked him and he said, well, No thanks, I don't think France would think very much of me if I built an even bigger tower than the Eiffel Tower in London. So, uh, no. So, having been turned down, what do you think Watkin did next?
1: Decided he'd do it himself.
0: No, he didn't decide to do it himself.
1: Was
2: IKEA around at this point? (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: I think IKEA is actually older than you would think, but um, I don't think it's quite that old and certainly not in in Britain at the time. (laughs) That he decided he'd hold an open design competition to outsource the designing for his tower. Uh, And he offered a 500 guineas first prize and 250 guineas second prize, which are not inconsiderable sums back then. Mm -hmm. I typed that into an online calculator and that'd be about £50,000 sterling today. So,
2: you know, worth winning. Why did he have a second prize?
1: I was wondering that. Well, right. You kinda of think first prize involves actually getting the thing built. You gotta the second prize is just like, Well, well done you
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I suppose it it could be that he picked the design he liked the most and then upon further investigation it proved to be impractical, but you would have thought <laughs> that analysis would be built into choosing it as the first prize, but
1: hmm. yeah.
0: I don't know, so yes someone got 250 guineas for um, a bit of draftsmanship work, so well done then. Yeah. But yeah, you can check out the designs. I think most of the designs that were submitted online, there's an archive of them. And a lot of them were, perhaps fairly unsurprisingly, quite Eiffel esque. Quite
1: Eiffel esque, yes.
0: Some were great, though. One had a railway spiraling up the outside of it.
1: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: A couple of them look like giant screws stood on end.
1: I think there's some, some modern architecture that looks somewhat like that. Not yeah, there uh,
0: there's one that looked a bit like the Scott Memorial to me.
1: <laughs>
0: so Therefore also looking like Thunderbird too, because that's the nickname of the Scott Memorial. Uh, there are a few pyramidal designs, one of which was supposedly inspired by the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which, as we know, We're in Nineveh. (laughs) I quite liked one that looked like a giant campanile, though, a sort of Pisa-esque one with a Mm. stepped base. Yeah, anyway, Watkin chose a six-legged steel Eiffel-esque one, the Eiffel Tower's made of iron, but it ended up being redesigned to save money into a four-legged version.
1: (laughs) So even more Eiffel-esque. Even more Eiffel-esque,
0: yeah. And they had plans for... Uh, a hotel a restaurant turkish baths winter garden shops etc and construction started in 1892 and the the parkland officially opened in 1894 and the first stage of the tower was finished by late 1895 so if you, if you imagine the the eiffel tower truncated at its first level that's what it <laughs> looks yes. like And then in the next year, they installed lifts so people could go up to the 47-meter-high first level to enjoy the views. So it's pretty tall already at this first stage. Trouble was, not that many people turned out were interested in visiting going up the tower. And the tower developed a slight but noticeable lean.
1: Should have gone with the uh, Peteresque esque version then.
2: Or with all six legs of the original design. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, there's
2: that too. The famous Leaning Gardens of Babylon. Yes. yes. Uh,
0: but also Watkin was in ill health at this time and investment money was drying up.
1: So... Yeah, I had a feeling there was going to be kind of financial woes coming mm-hmm. along somewhere along the line.
0: Yeah, so work stopped. Watkin died in 1901 and the tower closed to visitors in 1902, because uh, by that time it had been deemed unsafe. And between 1904 and 1907, it was gently dismantled by the use of dynamite. (laughs) And so, (laughs) therefore, I would say that it has evernessed,
1: Yes, is my other
0: word. It has passed out of sight, memory, or exist. But now in the spot where it was today you can find something else that's more well
2: known any guesses Ooh, uh i am going to guess it's a it's an art installation if it's still a a public space that's my guess I, i'm not across london sculptures but i would imagine something fairly aesthetic and and an eiffel in a different sense uh, an
0: Eiffel, yeah. Uh, it's not a sculpture. It's a
2: building, uh, and it's not a
0: uh, public area. This particular spot is not a public area anymore. So it's, it's a famous London building, in North London, to help you out a little bit. Uh,
2: um, have another um, couple of guesses. Well, <laughs> I know that uh, Pickeroon recently highlighted um, some landmarks of London. I don't know my way around the um, A to Z, but I do know that the Gherkin is a relatively eye-catching and magnificent building. Is that where it s- stands?
0: Fair guess, but the Gherkin's quite central uh, within in the city. This is a bit further out in the suburbs. Okay. Um, beyond Neasden, it was described in the documentary, a little place not very well known at the time, little suburb of London called Wembley. Oh. Uh, And so if you go to visit the Great Tower of London nowadays, you'll find Wembley Stadium. And in fact, when the old Wembley Stadium was demolished in 2002, they found the remains of the foundation of the stump before they built the new one there. So, um, yeah, the moral is, do not scrimp on your architectural plans, folks.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Or six legs good, four legs bad. (laughs) yeah Yeah. cool okay general would you like
0: to read out your favorite clue again and then explain to us uh, what you thought of it and how it works
2: okay well this one made me smile because here we are together making a um, beautiful music this one jumped out podcaster is keen to host a star it's eight letter answer and just to pass it for everybody when you say a word like host in crossword ease it tends to be either mc or it uh, talks about either a container or a hidden because the host you know brings the guests into the party or you might say that a i guess a dog provides accommodation tapeworm Uh, this whole idea of accommodation exactly right So here, the hosting is a signal for a hidden formula. So the answer is hiding in plain sight. And if you look inside the letters of podcaster is keen, from the A through to the K, you will see that the word asterisk is spelt, which is a star in the punctuation sense. So lovely piece of misdirection. Hosting sits well with podcaster. And star, to keep with that surface sense, makes you think of a luminary rather than a, um, a piece of punctuation. So, thought of a nice misdirection and a very sleek clue with no word wasted. Nice clue. It is.
0: Dave, okay, what have you alighted on from the puzzle to tell us about?
2: Well, actually, that very
1: same answer, asterisk, is the one that got me thinking in my day job i look at a lot of documents that have footnotes so i see asterisks rather a lot as well as the other footnote q symbols that follow them um, daggers and what double daggers and so on the number of people both colleagues and clients who both spell and pronounce it asterisks, is astonishing <laughs> This, of course, is because of the diminutive Gaulish villager in the comic books created by René Goscini and Albert Uderzo. Yes, of course, an asterisk is a small star from the Greek asteriskos, as opposed to Tom Hanks, who is a big star.
0: Because <laughs> he <laughs> starred in the film Big. No, I know, yeah, I, know, I, I, know. I, know. <laughs> I know, I know,
1: I know, I know. Anyway, so Asterix the Gaul, he is is diminutive, and he is the star of the comics. But the the second footnote symbol, the one that comes after the asterisk, commonly called the dagger, its technical name is the obelisk. Oh, yes. Hence the name for Asterix's constant companion, obelix. But the obelisk in Latin uh, had a couple of meanings. Uh, one of which was a sharp pointed stick or a spit. Okay. Uh, And that's kind of how it came to be used as a mark in text. And the idea was it was a kind of deletion mark. The idea was it was used to skewer content that was dubious or incorrect. And the other meaning was a sort of a pointed pillar. Uh, And that obviously developed into our word obelisk for a tall pointed monument created from a single stone such as the men Menhirs, that, that Obelix uh, obelis is always carting around, so he's carrying a thing that's going to make an Obelix. Um, <laughs> anyway, the third footnote reference, Mark, it's commonly called the Double Dagger. It uh, has the technical name, Diasis, and sadly that doesn't refer to any, there are no, no cartoon Gauls named after that. <laughs> But uh, so I was, I was looking up the, the character names for the Asterix books because they're all puns, both in the original French and in all the translated versions, so that you, to whichever language you're getting translated, you get the sort of locally suitable punning alternatives. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, the X suffix is derived from the typical format of real historical Gaulish names. You think of the King Vercingetorix. By the way, I, I googled him to see if there were any paintings or statues of him, and it's rather gratifying to see that the, the images of him—he's got a big, bushy, blonde moustache, just like Asterix <laughs> has got. There's a there's
0: a very large statue of him in France somewhere, isn't there?
1: I think seems likely. I, I've been somewhere where there was statues of uh, of of William the Conqueror, and he's got a big, bushy moustache as well, like uh, like like Dick Strawbridge. Anyway. So the, the two leading characters, you know, wherever it gets localized to, though they, they're always asterisks and obliques. They might get re-spelt slightly, but their names stay the same. But it's the subsidiary characters who get localized versions. Can you remember, for example, the name of the village chief?
2: Oh. I think the only one I can remember offhand is the druid.
1: Druid. We'll get to him in a minute. Yeah.
2: Was there was a um, was there a man called like Sinelix, or someone who was a you know a an older man playing around with senile.
1: Well, there was in the English version. He was geriatrics. <laughs> the old chap. Yeah, very good.
0: Oh wait, was the was the village chief? Was he politics?
1: He was vital statistics. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, uh, in the original French, he's he's abraura which apparently derives from a French phrase, tomber sur quelqu'un à bras raccourcis, which my Harrop's French Dictionary
2: translates as, to give someone a good pummeling. <laughs> <laughs> I am in awe of translators who can preserve the wordplay from one language to another. Mm. That is that is one of the finest arts of, uh, of language care. It's a beautiful... Beautiful note to know that that happens in both texts.
1: Yeah. And one of the best, I mean, sometimes they can take it up a level. So Obelix has got a little pet dog. I don't know if you can remember his name. Ah. Uh, in the original French, it's idée fix, as in okay. a, a fixation, an obsession. And rather cleverly, the English translators rendered that as dogmatics. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so they got a
1: reference to him being a dog as well that's quite uh, nice brilliant. that is brilliant you mentioned the druid uh, void so he's the one who cooks up the magic potion that gives asterisks and obliques their strength in English he's usually called get a fix <laughs> yeah. in the original French panoramics he who sees everything but uh, apparently it, 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 the comic was syndicated for reproduction in newspapers in the UK in the 1970s and at that point they f- apparently felt that the kind of drug supplying allusion was perhaps inappropriate for our children readers um and so f- for that context they renamed him as ready mix <laughs> which for those unfamiliar uh, is a famous brand of british concrete
2: an alternative could have been metaphysics
1: yeah yeah yeah.
2: Fizz as in bubbling.
1: Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Void, I think your choice of clue, did that also relate to another typographic character, I think? Oh, you've given it away. <laughs> but yes, 24 down. Feature of Senorita's hat
0: incorporating diamonds. Five letters. The thing about this is you probably have to see it written down because feature of... Sent me looking for a hidden word, much like the something hosting a string of letters. So I was looking for a five letter hidden word in there, but I couldn't find one. So then I had to have a a rethink. Incorporating diamonds is telling you to put a D inside of something. D, the abbreviation for the suit of diamonds in a pack of cards. And the thing you have to put it inside of is hat from the clue. And Slang for a hat, and I think this is particularly British slang, is a tile, as in a roof tile. So you put a D in a tile, and you get tilde, which in case you don't know, is that little wiggly line over the N that you'll see in the word senorita. So it's a feature of senorita, it's the little typographical mark, a tilde. Very nice. Quiz time. General. What have you got for us?
2: All right. What lyric from David Bowie's Gene Genie inspired another band's name and that band still with us today and having a 40-year career?
0: Ooh, Gene Genie lives on his back. Gene Genie. 40-year career. Oh, that's a lot. Well, you might have me this time around.
2: Mm. About time. <laughs> a Glaswegian band.
0: Oh, Aswegian band been around for 40 years. Uh, oh, what's that band you did? Did see Deacon Blue? No, it's not Deacon Blue. No. It
2: stopped no, no. me. I'll give you the lyric. The lyric that inspired the name of the band. So simple minded he can't drive his module. <laughs>
0: right. Simple
2: minds. Okay. Um, I didn't know that. It'd be a nice 11 and a crossword. 6-5. Yeah. Mm. All right. This one also inspired by a a lyric or a song title. There was a band who went by the name of On A Friday and the record company said, that's a rubbish name, come up with something better. So the band ended up choosing a track name from the 1986 Talking Heads album called True Stories. The band, On A Friday, thought the Talking Heads album was rubbish Except for one song, and that one song <laughs> they chose as their name. So on a Friday became it's Radiohead.
0: Correct. This is well done. All right. I've heard that one before.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last one. What Leicester band is named after Charles Manson's getaway driver? <laughs> ah.
0: I think there's a bunch of bands that I get muddled up in my head as to which city they're from. So let me try and rule some out. It's it's not Arctic Monkeys.
1: That would be a silly name for a getaway driver
2: anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's alias. true. alias. Yeah, so Kaiser Chiefs Are they from Leicester? That's not
2: really a... Uh, no, they're Scottish.
0: Oh, I know, you right. Okay. What's the band that oh, got a lead singer called Ricky? Oh, is that Kaiser Chiefs then? Yeah, Named after a driver, so the getaway driver. So is it the getaway driver's name or nickname?
2: Her surname, her first name was Linda, and her surname is the, uh, the name that the band adopted. Starts with K. Uh, Kinks. <laughs> um, <laughs> Linda Kinks. <laughs> Kasabian. I'll put you out of your misery. Oh, brilliant. Kasabian. Kasabian. Linda Kasabian yeah. was the getaway driver for Charles Manson. And a very sinister backstory for uh, my final etymology, band etymology quiz. Brilliant. I've not heard that one before, actually. Oh, yeah.
1: There are a lot of bands who kind of take their names from like science fiction films and things, aren't there? Which is quite famous.
0: Yeah, and literature uh,
1: generally. Yeah, I mean, you've got... Uh, Duran Duran, I think. Is, is that from, from Barbarella? Barbarella. Powell. Star Trek a, a Vulcan priest in Star Trek or something, yeah. And you got Heaven 17? That's from Clockwork Orange, I think. Yep, yep. There's a level 42
2: from um,
0: Hitchhiker's Guide. Yep. I think there's there's actually a few from Clockwork Orange, but I can't remember which other Very ones.
1: possible, because, I mean, there's, there's a sequence in a record shop, and I think it's the names of the things that were just kind of mocked up bands in the shop, I think.
2: Uh, right. Yeah, uh, my favourite origin story that I thought would probably be pretty easy, but um, it was uh, the band which had no name was just in its early weeks rehearsing, trying to get a sound together, and the lead singer's father, who was upstairs, yelled down to the band there in the garage a an insult into what he was hearing, told this band they were absolute X, and X ended up being their name. <laughs> And it was Shirley Manson's dad, the band was garbage. <laughs> oh, right. oh, I love that story. I put them in a crossword not so long ago.
0: <laughs> Brilliant.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, here we are at the end notes. So thanks for listening to this episode of Off Grid. Show notes, as always, will be at offgrid.tlmb.net. And if you want to contact us, I'm at Skirwingle on Twitter and Mastodon and probably some other places too. And I'm
0: at The Void TLNB, and you should also go and check out, I don't know, something good. (laughs) General, would you like to make a recommendation for our listeners for this week? And at this point, listener, I'm afraid the internet decided rather arbitrarily that we would hear no more from General Knowledge. So it falls to me to tell you that the General recommends checking out the Aussie setter known as DA by following his Twitter account at Don't Attempt. And the General also says that he particularly enjoys the work of the crossword setters Pickaroon,
1: Paul and Nut. Marvellous. Thank you so much for helping us out again, General Knowledge. All right, everyone, we'll see you next time. Goodbye.
0: Off Grid is a TLMB production. Thanks to Gila and The Independent for the crossword this time around, and to official Worcester Park heroes, The Trudy, for our theme tune. Hello to our new listener in Hungary. Aga If you would like to leave us a review or a rating that would be greatly appreciated that helps us spread the word and get listened to much more if you don't hey never mind thanks for listening see you next time bye bye well i just had to laugh